Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. Today, Jen digs deeper into the phrase, in the beginning, as we continue our Christmas series, The Skinny on Christmas. Listen in as she uncovers the history of Jesus entering our dark world to bring us his presence, his love, his peace, and his hope. Here's Jen. So it's Jesus's birthday coming up, huh? It is an exciting time, but um, as we celebrate this birth of Christ, I want us to remember and to be challenged with the fact that this isn't actually the beginning of Jesus. Many of us, I know, know this fact. You know, we've pointed this out as we've gone through uh, the book of Genesis, as we're going through that. We've, we've pointed out times in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up miraculously, or we think that that is Jesus. There's things that, that Julie referred to last week as theophanies. And often, though, when we think about Christmas, when we teach it to our kids, when we Um, discuss the reason for the season, we talk about how it's the birthday of Jesus. And in our minds, we tell ourselves, well, it's the beginning of Jesus, but it's not. You know, so often as churchgoers, we look at these stories in in the Bible and we begin to just see them kind of like fairy tales or caricatures of what really happened. And we begin to miss the complex mystery of it all. The theological abstract truth of what the Bible says is amazing. And what we find is that Christmas is one of those mind-boggling truths. This whole idea of Jesus being born in a manger is not the beginning of Christ. I don't know about you, but I really don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I, 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 I... I'm so thankful for Christmas and so thankful for what it means for me and for my family and honestly for the world. But oftentimes I think we all can brush over the abstract, the things that are hard to grasp in our faith. And I know for me, I settled in my mind a long time ago that when it comes to God, there are going to be things that I just have to accept. Things that are, you know, concepts that are bigger than I can wrap my my brain around. And these concepts, even though they're difficult, they're still true. Um, they're, they're concepts that I'll pick up every once in a while and wrestle with and then put them back down. Just kind of trusting that, that the God of the universe, who is so big, is someone that I will never fully understand and contemplate. And the birth of Christ is one of these topics. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that it's the story of this infinite God who confined himself into the form of a human being and a human being that was as helpless as a newborn baby, so vulnerable, so weak. The manger story in Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph and the three wise men and the angels and the shepherds in all of creation, none of this starts and marks the beginning of Jesus. There's scripture after scripture that point to the fact that the birth of Christ was not his beginning. The truth of the matter is Jesus is, has always been, and always will be God. One of my favorite scriptures that talks about this is found in the gospel of John chapter one. Now the apostle John was, was kind of, is, is, known to be one of Jesus's favorite disciples. He hung around with him a lot. When Jesus would only take a few, he was one of them. When Jesus was on the cross, he asked John to take care of his mother after he was gone. Jesus and John were tight. And John wrote 
five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, which tells the story of Jesus. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So he's kind of a big deal. And when he is first starting to describe Jesus in his first book, the Gospel of John, he wrote this. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, to fully kind of capture the meaning of this scripture, you have to understand what John is saying here when he uses the term, the word. At this time of writing, the term had special meaning for both the Greeks and the Jews. Plato and other Greek philosophers used that what we've translated as the word, their word for that was logos. And logos meant that which gives meaning to things. And then the Jews used this term, the word, to refer to God's active and personal involvement in the world. So when John wrote this, this verse is referring to Jesus as the personal presence of God, the one who gives all things meaning, the one who is personally present in the world. So to the people of John's day, this would have made sense. It would have been obvious to them. But as we continue to read in the book of John, he refers to it one more time, this whole idea of Jesus being the word. And he says in verse 14, the word became flesh. So it becomes clear at that point, if it wasn't clear before, that when he's talking about the word, he's talking about Jesus. So you could read, you could actually read that scripture and put Jesus in that place of that term, the word, and it would say this, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Now, this is an extremely powerful statement. This verse, one commentary says that this verse is the most compact and pulsating theological statement in all of scripture. And the reason that it is such a powerful statement is that John is trying to make it very clear that Jesus is not just anybody. Jesus wasn't just a wise teacher. He wasn't just a prophet or a good man with a divine connection. He was, is, and always will be God. This concept is what makes Christianity Christianity. This concept is what makes Christmas such a powerful and big deal to us. After all, if Jesus was just a teacher or a prophet or even a man with kind of divine connection, his birth in history would not be any more important than anyone else who was kind of a famous, you know, powerful person in history. One writer says about the first verse of John, what John comes out and says in verse one is the most demanding and potentially divisive message that has ever been given. And it's powerful because John is deliberately trying to eliminate any other possibility or any other conclusion that you could make about who Jesus is. John is saying, Jesus is not the creation of God. He is the creator God himself. And John uses this opportunity to also point readers back to the Torah, which was the Jewish scriptures at the time. Now, you and I, we've been studying the beginning of the, of the Torah. If you've been coming to church on Sundays, Genesis is the first book of the Torah. And if you remember, our uh, Genesis series is titled In the Beginning. And it's titled that because the first three books of our Bible, the first three books of the Jewish Torah, 
says, in the beginning, God created. So the community that John was living in at the time would have been very familiar with the verse. I mean, people memorized the Torah. And you know when you memorize something, you always really know the first part really well because you always have to say that to get to the next part you memorized. They would have caught this as an important phrase. And he doesn't just use the phrase once, if you notice. He uses it twice in those first two verses. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John is making sure that we know that Jesus was already present at creation. Now, this becomes really interesting when you go back and you look at the creation account. Now, some of you may remember, we talked about this in the first uh, um sermon in the series that we are doing on Genesis. But if you didn't catch that one, or if you don't remember, I'm going to give you homework. Go back and watch that first sermon in the series, and you'll learn that even the words in Genesis written way before the birth of Christ hint that Jesus was there at creation. So the birth of Christ isn't the beginning of Jesus. John 8, 58 further confirms this when, when Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Now, again, if you've been following along in Genesis, we all know who Abraham is, and we all know that he came way before Christmas Day. And Jesus himself said, I existed before Abraham. So if Jesus was present at the beginning, if he was present at creation, that means he existed before the beginning. If we look at John even more closely, we see not only was he present at creation, he was actively involved in creation. Look again, it says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing that has been made was made. He was a part, an integral part of the process. In Colossians, talking about Jesus, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him And for him, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. By him, things were created. Through him, things are sustained. Last week, Julie shared Hebrews 1. Let's look at it again. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Before the sun and the moon and the stars, Jesus was. Before the mountains and the oceans, Jesus was. Before the first cell was split or DNA was made, Jesus was. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus says of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's the beginning and the end. He is both creator and sustainer of all things. 
John the Baptist even confirmed this when he was talking about Jesus in the book of John. When he was talking, speaking of him, he said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. But if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you know John the Baptist was born before Jesus. This baby in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas time is the God of the universe, the God who created everything we see and cannot see. He is before all, he is in all, and he is above all. This to me is what makes the Christmas story so remarkable. And honestly, it is what can give us incredible hope. The God who created everything we see confined himself into his very own creation to save us. St. Augustine wrote a poem about this concept. He said, maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the father, he remains from his mother, he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. The God of the universe came to earth as the most vulnerable being possible, a newborn baby. I mean, think about it. Even baby animals are less dependent than a newborn baby. I remember the first night Brian and I had, you know, we were alone in the hospital room with Rachel, my oldest. And I remember being so terrified that she was just going to break. She was just going to stop breathing. She seemed so flimsy, so tiny, so breakable. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. If your parents or even if you've been around a newborn baby and you think about it, they don't have that chunky fat yet, you know, and they're just, their, their, their head doesn't hold itself up and they're, they don't really know how to focus their eyes, their limbs don't work properly. Newborn babies are incredibly vulnerable and completely reliant on de- and dependent on others. So God came down to earth like this as a helpless baby, completely reliant on those he created. The strongest being ever to exist became the weakest. The most independent of all beings put himself in the most dependent of situations. And he did it for us. Philippians describes Jesus this way, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. God came to be with us because he he needed to save us. He came so that we could know him, so that we could understand him, and we could know that he actually understands us, so that we could see his life and know who God is and what he's like. And because Christ came and humbled himself and lived this life of service, service that ultimately led to his horrible, torturous death, because of all of this, we can know the huge God who made us. We can know what he's like because he chose to make himself knowable. He made himself reachable and accessible. And he became man because he knew we needed him. 
We needed a savior. A human natural teacher, a a good person, or even a prophet wouldn't provide the supernatural help that we needed. Because he is God, we can now have a perfect example. Because he is God, he has the power to overcome sin and death. Because he is God, he is capable of taking the punishment we deserve. But what's so unbelievable and abstract to me is because he came as a baby and grew up to be a man, now the creator of all things, we can call friend. We can call brother. We can call helper and counselor. Because he made himself small, we have a companion for the rest of our lives who we know understands what it's like to live in this crazy world. And because of his hugeness and because in that hugeness he chose to become small, we know, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that he will never leave us or forsake us. It, it, it provides such hope. This proves a love that is beyond comprehension. This shows a care that cannot be matched. You see, we don't deserve this. All of us in this room have sinned against God and against others. All of us at different times and in different ways have ignored God. We've been ungrateful for what he's given us or we've chosen to go against his will. We, you know, we get consumed and, and, and distracted by our own selfish desires. Every single one of us. And God didn't have to do any of this. You know, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he could have scraped the whole idea. I mean, he could have just destroyed everything and started over. Noah's flood could have been the end of all things. He didn't have to teach Noah how to build an ark. Or he could have just let us live on earth with no hope of eternal life. He could have just let us live and kind of self-destruct and die. He could have drawn back and not not provided a way to have a relationship with him that we would just continue in the mess and that ultimately human beings would just destroy ourselves and be done. We'd be long gone by now if it wasn't for his presence and his grace. He didn't have to offer us a relationship with him. He didn't have to offer us eternal life. But Christmas tells us that he loved us so much that he was willing to make himself small, to stoop down, and help us clean up the mess we made. Now, I, when I go down this road, I have to always caution myself. And so I'm going to caution you too. I think there is this human tendency in us that when we, and I think it's subconscious. I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's really something we even are aware of completely. But when we hear this, when we hear that God pursued us like that, came down and, and kind of condescended to be with us, we have a human tendency to elevate ourselves in the process. Like, like maybe God needs us, like that we're that important that he would do that. Let me, let me describe it to you this way. Do you think that our culture likes Christmas more than Easter because presents under a tree are better than chocolate and hard-boiled eggs in a basket? Probably. They also probably like Christmas more than Easter because Christmas focuses on a baby, a cuddly, sweet, harmless, adorable baby that needs us. Easter reminds us of the suffering we caused God and ultimately reminds us of a conquering king, a king who deserves worship and submission, a powerful God who is powerful enough to overcome sin and death. 
We see him as a God who must be reckoned with, who deserves our surrender. And this is why we've got to remember that even though we celebrate this baby being born, he's a great big God in that baby. We don't deserve it. He doesn't need our love. He is completely whole in the unity of the Trinity. He was completely whole before Christmas. He was completely whole before creation for that matter. So when we remember that this this almighty God made himself small on our behalf, we've got to remember that we don't deserve it and that it's not because he needs us. It's because he loves us, because he chooses to love us. This baby was not a mere baby. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But in remembering that, in remembering that we still are small and that despite his majesty, he chose to be small. It's when we keep that in mind that we really get a glimpse of the love he has for us. It's so hard to fathom. It really is so hard for it to sink in. But his mercy and his grace are so amazing, so beyond anything we can understand. And when we grasp a little bit of that, we've got to realize there's something always for us to hope for. If the God who made us and made everything that we see and cannot see decided that even in our unworthiness, he would do what it takes to make us worthy, we can trust him with anything. You know, our world is crazy right now. Insane. If you look around at the violence and the hypocrisy and the the injustice in the world, you can really begin to get worried. But when we consider what God did for us on Christmas, we can trust and know that he's not going to leave us now. He is not going to abandon us now. If he was going to abandon the human race, he would have done it long ago. And at the same, the same God not only came once, but he promises he will come back again. This is why we celebrate what we call Advent. Advent is the the kind of the season that leads up to Christmas. It's the time where we celebrate the fact that Jesus came once and that he promised he's coming again. He has promised that he will come again and he will make all things new. He will make every wrong right and he will wipe away every tear. If he was faithful to come the first time, he is faithful to fulfill his promise that he will come back a second time. Now, you know, the apostle John You know how he called Jesus the word? Well, he did that not only in the gospel he wrote, but he also refers to Jesus in the book of Revelation as the word. You see, the book of Revelation was was given, it's a a revelation that was given to John um, about the end times. And so in in this book, we see pictures of Jesus and what he's supposed to look like when he comes back. This is how the apostle John describes Jesus when he comes back the second time. In Revelation 19, it says, now this is John talking. 
I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean." This baby we celebrate at Christmas is no longer a baby. And he is coming back. As much as our human minds cannot conceive it, and as much as we struggle to believe it, it doesn't mean it's not true. There is a God who loves creation so much that he confined himself as a weak, vulnerable baby, then lived a humble and righteous life to then go and die on a cross in a most painful way so that we would know him that we could believe in him, be saved by him, and have eternal life. And if he is faithful enough to do this, he is faithful enough to return. Now, he could come back tomorrow or he could come back a thousand years from now. We don't know. But Jesus is not done. The birth was not his beginning and the death was not his end. He is bigger and more awesome than we will ever be able to fathom. His wisdom is beyond measure, his power beyond comprehension, and his love is deeper than we will ever be able to understand. And he promises he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, and he is coming back for us. And you may be thinking, I I really don't deserve this. Like maybe Jen doesn't deserve it. And trust me, I don't deserve it. But I really don't deserve it. We've all hurt people. We've all made bad choices. We've all sinned in ways that we hope nobody ever finds out. And you know what? It's true. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve his grace. I don't either. But God has decided that you're worth it. And despite our sin, he comes after us. I found this story from a missionary that I wanted to share with you. It's it's longer than I would normally read in a sermon, but it's so good. It's about these two American missionaries who went to a Russian orphanage in 1994. It's interesting, actually, because the Russian Department of Education asked them to come and teach morals and ethics to the kids. Very interesting that after communism, they asked the Christians to come and teach morals and ethics. But anyway, they did. And so they went to this orphanage that had about 100 boys and girls who had been either abandoned or abused in some way. And the the missionary describes the story like this. It was nearing the holiday season, 1994, time for our orphans to hear for the first time the traditional story of Christmas. We told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem. Finding no room in the inn, the couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat on the edges of their stools trying to grasp every word. Completing the story, we gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger. Each child was given a small paper square cut from yellow napkins. No colored paper was available in the city. I had brought it. Following instructions, the children tore the paper and carefully laid strips in the manger for straw. Small squares of flannel cut from a worn-out nightgown were used for the baby's blanket. A doll-like baby was cut from tan felt we had brought from the United States. The orphans were busy assembling their manger as I walked among them to see if they needed any help. 
All went well until I got to one table where little Misha sat. He looked to be about six years old and had finished his project. As I looked at the little boy's manger, I was startled to see that there was not one but two babies in the manger. Quickly, I called for the translator to ask the lad why there were two babies in the manger. Crossing his arms in front of him and looking at this completed manger scene, the child began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young boy he, who had only heard the Christmas story once, he related the happenings accurately until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. Then Misha started to ad-lib. He made up his own ending to the story as he said, and when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. And I told him, I have no papa and I have no mama, so I don't have a place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everybody else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much. So I thought about what I had that maybe I could use as a gift. I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody ever gave me. So I got into the major, and then Jesus looked at me, and he told me I could stay with him for always. As little Misha finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down his little cheeks. Putting his hand over his face, his head dropped to the table, and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. This little orphan had found someone who would never abandon or abuse him, someone who would stay with him for always. He found a savior. God made himself small enough for that orphan boy to understand. And God makes himself small enough for us to understand. Jesus entered that boy's dark world, and he still enters our dark world today. The almighty God, coming as a baby, entered darkness to bring light, to make a way for us to have eternal life for the lowliest among us, for the orphans, for the widows, for the rejected, for the lonely, for the anxious, for the depressed, for the one who has every material thing possible and is successful but still aches for something more. He made himself available to all of us. Remember John 1, how it said, in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Well, in another one of John's books, in 1 John 5, he says this, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You see, when we recognize Jesus as the true God, we rec when we recognize his greatness and we recognize that we are unworthy, when we realize that God has given us understanding, he has put a light in our heart to take away the darkness so that we can understand the gift that he offers to us. But we have to receive it. And when we do, he makes us children of God, orphans, spiritual orphans, no more. 
And as we live with him, as we consider him king in our lives, as we continue to surrender and submit to them, he will give us more and more understanding and he will take away more and more of the spiritual darkness in our lives. And someday, either when we die and go to him or he comes back to us, we will see him as he truly is. I want to encourage you as you kind of close out this sermon today, that you would really consider who is it you think this God is? Do you worship the Almighty at Christmas? Or do you really like the six-pound Jesus that's cute and cuddly and needs you? You see, if, if, if Jesus is just born for the first time, mere human, good teacher, Christmas means nothing. But if he is actually the God of the universe, put in human form so that he can ultimately die in your place, he deserves everything. He deserves all of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son. I thank you so much that you did not give up on us. I thank you so much that you are powerful enough to make yourself small so that we can understand you and we can know you. Lord, I ask by your spirit that you would come and you would fill us, that you would help us to know you and to follow you. Lord, be king in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.